This episode of the Online Marketing Best Practices Podcast is brought to you by Concordia College. Advance your digital marketing career with the skills necessary to develop and launch effective search, social, and content marketing campaigns. Earn a fully online MS in digital marketing from Concordia College, New York. Your OMCP certification could qualify you for credit towards your degree. Learn more at concordia-ny.edu slash marketing. Never write an ad or promotion that your landing page can't cache. You can see what the top 10 pages are on your website, but should they have been the top 10 pages on your website? Google's solution to this problem of negative SEO and bad links coming into a site was the disavow tool. Welcome to the OMCP Online Marketing Best Practices Podcast where top authors and industry leaders share authoritative best practices in online marketing. All right, welcome back to the OMCP studios. And with us today is Jennifer Evans Cario, published author, speaker, social media faculty chair at Simply Learns Market Motive, and president at Sugar Spun Marketing. Jennifer is the author of Pinterest Marketing An Hour a Day through Wiley Publishers and sought after by the world's top brands as an authority on social media best practices. I'm your host, Michael Stebbins, and today we'll be discussing social messaging best practices for getting your message shared. Jen, welcome to the OMCB Best Practices Podcast. It's good to have you here in the studios. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, Michael. It's great to be here. And Jen, you and I, if I remember, met in 2004 when I was helping you cover my... I wasn't helping you. I was hoping <laughs> you would cover my company. And at that time, it was John and I at ClickTracks, and I was looking for you to cover us in your SEO publication. Since then, I know you've published several books, helped a number of brands. But before we get started, for those who haven't read your books or attended your classes or heard you speak, tell our audience... Who are you and what is it that you do? Well, geez, way back there in 2004, it was all about SEO, but wow, that that really starts to date us. Uh, actually, in the last decade or so, I've moved over into the social media world. So what I've been focusing on more lately is kind of hitting the conference circuits. Um, I do a lot of the industry-specific shows, the SEMA show in the automotive world, uh, craft and hobby associations shows, and teach a lot of workshops on social media best practice. And then in terms of sort of the, the business and the consulting side, I've been doing some work the last year or two with brands like Ford and Axo Noble that runs uh, deluxe paints throughout Europe, really helping their sort of their social media team figure out how to merge that marketing side and that PR side to really make sure the message is strong and it's consistent and they're really leveraging this new technology to really be able to communicate well with their target audience. Yeah, Jen, one of the things about you that makes you unique is that you're able to help small businesses with a small business strategy, and you're able to help some of the world's largest brands. I know some of them who have called you in time of need. And what, what is it that allows you to span that kind of diversity? Well, you know, we've joked some in the industry, we call it sort of the Pollyanna approach. And, you know, every now and then we, we get a couple comments that, you know, generally, she just, she, you know, she makes everything simple. And, and the reality is, it is simple. The tools you use, the way you scale it, that's a little bit more complicated. But really, the best practices, the things we look at in social media, whether you're you know, a one-man shop or a one-woman shop or you're an enterprise company, they're the same. It's just how we do it that changes. In your classes that I've, I've attended and, and looked at before, you can boil down some of the best practices for social media messaging to four or five or six different practices. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you just summarize them for us, and then we'll go through them one by one. 
Oh, let's see. Okay, so I'd say probably the the absolute number one would be making sure that you're really ensuring authenticity. That's just a requirement, whether it's own content or influencer marketing. Okay. The second one would probably be understanding that challenging competitors are kind of doing comparisons within in, in the industry. That's acceptable for most strategies, but keeping in mind that attacking competitors, that's a little more high risk. We'll go over that. I'm interested to hear how you handle that. What's number three? Um, let's see. Number three. Okay. Well, we'll go back to the PR teams and marketing. Social media messaging really works best when your PR team and your marketing team are really sharing resources and ideas. Okay. Next. Mapping each messaging channel to its strengths. That's a really big one. Making sure you're using segmentation so you can target the language to your specific audience or to the product launch or the marketing campaign. And I know that you teach that our message is sometimes not our own. Oh, we, we really wish it was, but no, it's it's just not. So I'd, if we were wrapping it up with five, we'd probably say that that initial message definition, it's up to you. But you've got to be prepared to redefine or modify based on audience perspective and what you're hearing. Okay. So folks, that will be on the exam. You'll see those align perfectly with the OMCP competency standards and outcomes. So that list is a takeaway right there for your study guide. So now we get to go into detail. Jen, some people argue that volume or frequency of posting is key. I think we know that that's not the case. (laughs) Um, What do the authentic content producers do to beat the high volume producers? Well, you know, Mike, I think if the internet has taught us anything, it's that everybody thinks they can create content and very few people can do it with quality. We're living in such a content glut world of internet marketing and social media marketing right now that we really see a lot of potential for the companies that are authentic, that offer value, that content really starts to stand out. So I think it really comes down to companies kind of embracing all this new to- new technology and starting to understand that that they have to find where they're most comfortable. So maybe that's, you know, running the gamut with infographics, maybe it's, you know, Facebook live streaming, maybe it's, you know, writing great blog articles and, you know, white papers. It's really making sure that you're leveraging the different technology available to figure out what lets you have that authentic voice, the quality. So number one question I get, Okay. what if it's boring? Well, you know, some of that's going to depend on what it is you're writing about. If you're selling flow meters, it's, let's be honest, it's a little hard to make those super, super exciting, but you got to know the passion points of your audience. And that's where social lets us really listen and see that feedback because, hey, if it's that that new you know, flow meter with amazing technology, someone's going to be excited about it. You just have to know what their passion point is. So no, it can't be boring, but it still has to, again, hold true to what it is you're trying to get out there. You just have to be listening so you can figure out what it is that makes them respond. And you're kind of weaving that into your narrative. And what are some of the boundaries on honest? I know that honest is important. Um, you know, sometimes it doesn't make sense to reveal our financials. <laughs> so well, there's honest and then there's just, you know, opening up the door to everything. No one's saying we have to do that. So what are some guidelines? If, if somebody's pitching this inside of their organization, and they're trying to convince the management team, you know, that that we need to be authentic and honest. Uh, what's an example of too far, and what's a or what's a, a way to communicate that type of boundary? Oh, that's a great question. I think too far goes 
either in the direction where you're you're trying so hard to get everyone to like you that maybe you're revealing a little bit more than is necessary. You start to walk the line of it's the truth, but it's stretched just a little bit. And I think not far enough is that that idea of, well, we can't let people know because if we get it in front of our target audience, we're also going to get it in front of our competitors and and just that mindset that we have to you know protect this and put everything behind a wall. And there's really, there's that sweet spot in the middle there that you have to look for of you've got to give people enough to make them want to reach out and contact you to get some of those more face-to-face conversations so that you can reveal a little bit more. But you want to make sure that anything and everything you put out is beyond question. Because on the internet, there's always going to be someone that's more than willing to go find that little piece of truth you stretch just a little bit too far and call you out on it. It's happened before. Yeah. You mentioned that challenging competitors or comparing within the industry is okay for most strategies, but attacking competitors can be a high-risk strategy. Yeah, you know, that's that's one that I'm still surprised how many companies I run into that really kind of have that that bulldog approach. And they're so convinced that what they have is so much better than everyone else that they want to get out there and kind of shout it from the mountaintops. And there's nothing wrong with pointing out, okay, hey, this is what, you know, this product does and this is what our product does. But there's a there's kind of a polite and nice way to do that. And then there's kind of a vicious and mean way to do that. And or it's, maybe it's, Instead of polite and nice, maybe it's um, helpful, right? Or revealing, yeah. you know, it, it's data-centric. Yes, and and I don't mean polite as in, you know, you can't possibly ever say anything bad. There's nothing wrong with calling someone out or saying, you know, hey, they claim they do this, but, you know, when we, you know, test things, this is actually what happens here, or here's why people like our options so much better. But, you know, in a again, in a world where reputation management can it can jump up and down so fast, just even based on what the mood or the pulse within an industry is on a particular day. I always come back to that idea that, you know, you want to make sure that your approach to that challenge, again, is it's authentic, it's above board, it doesn't open you up to difficulty. And, you know, we've, we've talked at points in the past about sort of that attacking approach. And I still go back to, unless you can do it with just the right sense of humor to be able to get away with it. My, my all-time favorite example still goes back to the, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC commercials, where even the, you know, the the PC owners still watched that and laughed and were like, okay, yeah, that's true. Our product does kind of do that, but I still love my PC. And you really have to have a brilliant finger on the pulse and a read on how to communicate to be able to do that. And that's why for the most part, I just tell people that's a better one to steer clear of. And I think that's a good time to bring in some outside voices. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe an agency or even a focus group and try something out to make sure you get it right. Yes. And then once you got it right, then you feel confident about going out to the market with that. Yeah. I think your point three was talking about when PR teams and marketing teams are sharing resources and ideas. You know, this is an area that's really interesting to me in working with small companies versus big companies, because small companies, this is really truly where their bigger advantage is because they can they can move so much faster. So a lot of times when you've got that smaller company, your PR team and your marketing team might be the same person. Or it might be such a small group that you're not really operating in distinct verticals. And they really have embraced that idea of making sure that the influencer outreach and the conversation and the feedback, that that's being used to feed the marketing conversations. And the the really common theme I see when I go into you know some of these larger Fortune 500 companies and try to talk with them and work with them on what their messaging is going to look like is that there's still sort of this established mentality of PR sits in this room and marketing sits in this 
room. And sometimes even that advertising sits in a third room and pulling together sort of that converged media strategy is really a challenge in the conversation because they're missing all of these amazing stories and conversations and sort of consumer driven you know, ideas and approaches that could be leveraged by the marketing team just because that conversation isn't really being enabled within the agency. Yeah, and we've seen the PR team be the fuel for so much outbound content, you know, obviously um, factored up from a press release. Yes, yes. <laughs> Given a little bit of meat. I think I, I noticed a tool, I hope I get the tool name right, it was called Socialize This. And it's a tool that, uh, as, as I understand it, allows the PR and marketing teams to broadcast to the sales reps and the marketing reps and all employees any kind of content and outbound from the company and give them the option to socialize it on their own channel and their own network. And I've noticed that people who use that tool tend to coordinate the teams and their outbound content and engagement on their channels go sky high. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just having that internal conversation taking place. Jen, number four that you mentioned is mapping each messaging channel to strengths and using segmentation to target the language to your audience. What does that look like? Well, you know, for a long time, social really was kind of, you know, just Twitter and Facebook and what was going out on your blog. And now we've reached this point where there's so many different channels and they have so many different styles. You know, the the way you communicate to someone on Instagram or, you know, via Snap is going to be very, very different than what you're doing on, you know, Facebook or Twitter. And it's really easy for companies to get caught up in this idea of putting this message together and then just mass broadcasting it out everywhere. And it makes me so sad to see that because, again, you know, on on Twitter, you might be playing up the hashtags and on Instagram, it might be about the visual side of it. And on Facebook, you want to make sure there's questions and engagement. And that same concept really needs to be presented to each of these different channels, just in a different format. It doesn't change the idea. It doesn't change what's behind it, but sort of the lead in or the touch point that's happening on those channels has to be specific. And as we look at the segmentation options that are popping up, you know, partially through paid promotions, but also even like organically on Facebook, you know, your organic posts that go in can now be segmented for free without paying for promotion to different audiences. And so the ability to say we recognize only a certain subset of our audience is going to be interested in this message, and we want to make sure that's who we're prioritizing getting it in front of really gives you the chance to almost engage on a micro level with subsets of your broader target audience. And that really gives your social me- social messaging so much more power. Jen, you point out that the initial message is something that we shape. <laughs> and then shortly well, we thereafter, <laughs> shortly thereafter, we have to be prepared to redefine or modify it based on the audience perspective, or frankly, what the audience just might do with our message once it's out. Yes. Walk us through those processes. Well, you know, for for fans of Mad Men, you know, there's there's a quote that pops up in Mad Men that says, you know, if you don't like what they're saying, change the conversation. And that was great when everything ran straight through advertising, when, you know, the brand was a one-way channel voice down to the consumers. And that's just not what happens now, because so much of the conversation around a brand isn't even coming from the brand. It's the conversation that's taking place consumer to consumer. So we can try and shape what we want people to focus on. We can try and shape, you know, what we view as our selling points or what we view as our brand. But ultimately, it's that whole perception is reality thing, right? So as 
consumers start to say, well, my experience doesn't match up with what they're telling me. And this is my, that starts to kind of take over and rule. And, you know, a brand that's done a really, really great job with this was uh, the Mini, the car. They did this great campaign where they actually sourced like all of their both digital banner advertising and even their, you know, like in-person advertising off of that idea that many owners are quirky. They love their cars. They're a little weird. You know, they're a little funky and just started pulling images and pictures and using that to push everything that they put out and really to shape the campaign that they ran for about an 18 month time period a year or so ago. And they really let the consumers define the message. And I think that was a really great example of companies starting to recognize that, look, it might not be exactly what we want to have out there, but it's what resonates. And if we take it and we run with it, then we can still kind of steer it. We might not be defining it, but we can still steer it in a way that really works for us while being respectful of what our customers themselves think of us and what they have to say. A happy audience will amplify what they like and what they can identify with. And if we can change and adapt and align with that, then oftentimes we can increase the amplification. Absolutely. I know that uh, we just covered a quick snapshot of some of the best practices related to social messaging. Any other tips or overall processes or strategies that we didn't cover? You know, I, I think even within sort of the subset of social messaging, it comes back to one of those big things that I always push for best practice across the board in social media, you know, as a whole. You have to think about what your goal is. Everything you do in social media needs to tie back to your business goal. So whether that's figuring out what audience you want to meet, whether that's figuring out, you know, are you trying to change your brand perception, repair a reputation, you have to know what it is you want to accomplish before you really even worry about the messaging because the messaging has to have a way to directly tie back to that goal or you're really just out there being part of a conversation. And it's not that there's not value in that, but at the end of the day, we all have to justify our budgets. Okay, well, that's all the time we have today and a big thank you to Jennifer evans Carroll. You'll find Jennifer's web-based social media training at simplylearn.com and you can engage her and her team at sugarspunmarketing.com to provide training for your teams in social media and content marketing. And also they can pick up your book, right, Jen? On Amazon.com. On Amazon.com. Yep. It's Pinterest marketing an hour a day through Wiley Publishing. I'm your host, Michael Stebbins, and you've been listening to OMCP Online Marketing Best Practices Podcast. OMCP maintains the certification standards for the online marketing industry in cooperation with industry leaders just like Jennifer. Join us inside of OMCP to maintain your certification, get special offers, and join other certified professionals in universities and training programs that value the OMCP standards. Network with other certified professionals or trainers while helping OMCP maintain an excellent standard. Actually, Jen, you're a OMCP certified trainer as well, I right? absolutely am. That's right. All right. Membership is only $40 each year, so we'll see you inside of OMCP as a certified professional where we'll be learning and improving our professional careers and teams together.